Hello and welcome to No Direction's official PaizoCon 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. Our coverage would not be possible without the help of our con staff, Paizo, and our patrons. Find more seminar recordings at nodirectionpodcast.com. All right, welcome folks. This is uh, the Concepting and Designing Aliens panel. This is a delightful two-hour experience, which we're going to see about breaking up into two general chunks based on the title, the concepting and the design. We'll probably end up taking uh, just a couple minutes of break at the one-hour mark, give or take, because, well... Two hours. Two hours, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know how this goes. Um, before we get into uh, all of our concepts, though, let's go ahead and just get some quick introductions. Um, I'm John Compton. I'm the Organized Play Lead Developer, so mostly I work on or play scenarios like Pathfinder Society and Starfinder Society. Starfinder and Society, in particular, involves inventing a whole bunch of random new aliens. Hi, I'm Luis Loza. I'm a Pathfinder developer here for the Starfinder panel. Um, but I've done a lot of work with monsters, both uh, in Pathfinder and aliens in Starfinder, so, and a lot of the design philosophies and whatnot transfer between games very easily. You keep the same stuff in mind, so I think I can help out. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm Joe Pacini, a Starfinder developer, and I like making aliens looking at other people's cool aliens the end I, good panel see you guys tomorrow that's uh, a second an hour and 58 minutes yeah so um, so in getting started uh, a lot of what ha- goes into our creating creatures is about hapless brainstorming in a group and throwing ideas at a wall until we find something that sticks and that is oftentimes true for Pathfinder um, but there are I would hazard to say that there are kind of some design expectations or like concept expectations for high fantasy um, where like okay it's an owlbear because it's like a beast in the woods um, ecology seems to apply or what we understand as ecology when it comes to Starfinder though you can be like yeah this planet doesn't have gravity deal with it um, and largely people are like okay that's cool <laughs> what do aliens without gravity look like um, so I figure what we can kind of go through is, like, what are some of the things that we are considering when we are brainstorming aliens or coming up with new ideas um, that maybe we can use to inspire some of the design later on? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think I have two different approaches, depending on... I either come up with an interesting idea, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was a monster that when it swallowed you whole, you actually got teleported away That would be else. cool. Or, or uh, I sure need a CR for aberration... And we'll work from there. Uh, so sometimes it, 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 it comes from either end um, on that, I think. Uh, you, ideally, I feel that coming up with cool ideas first and then giving them stats is, is better, especially with Starfinder where things are uh, less uh, regimented compared to, to Pathfinder. Where it's like, oh, it needs to have so many hit dice and so many skill ranks and all that stuff. So it, it's more fun, easier to work with in Starfinder. I really do like the bringing up the idea of, like, I need the CR4 aberration, especially when it comes to, like, uh, doing things for publication and we're filling out a bestiary in Alien Archive. Sometimes an author will be sent, I need this exact concept, and other times it's, well, we sure do have a lack of aberrations, and we sure do need some at CR4. Pitch us, like, a couple ideas, we'll approve one and go from there. And that, that need to fill a niche is sometimes all the inspiration you need to be like, okay, what would be appropriate for this thing? Or what, do, what is true about aberrations? Yeah. And kind of work from there. Yeah, limitation breeds creativity for sure. It's really helpful for me, especially. And I also like, uh, similar to that, I like mashing things up, taking two completely disparate things and being like, 
how can I make this make sense in one creature? Yeah. Um, and I also like ecology first design, like you were talking about. Yeah. Just looking at environments, or sometimes, you know, an adventure or a module or something, you say, like, what would be cool in this exact room? And then you can kind of go from there. Yeah, especially because uh, Starfinder has been doing this fun thing where in the back of all the adventure paths, they've been creating uh, or presenting another planet or, or world. Um, and just flipping through those and seeing the variety of things that are out there and saying, all right, so far Paizo sure has published like 400 words that are true about this place. And maybe they... Maybe they're like uh, uh, James, who uh, James Sutter, who had this uh, neat habit of like saying, "All right, here's this planet," and then sometimes the razor toads and the like wibble wobbles will fly at each other and do aerial jousting, and you're like, "James, James, what are razor toads? <laughs> what are wibble wobbles?" Eh, I figured we'd cover that later. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, well, we sure do have a couple of leads. Um, you, I mean, you just wrote these stone-faced mollusks. That I did. Existed as only those three words. In yeah, the, so, the, the uh, stone-faced squids of Vesk Two. Yeah, done. Okay. Now that's smoke a bomb entry. And yeah, so now now you have like two pages on them. So I didn't appreciate that smoke bomb. By the way, it like took forever to get out of the office. Yeah. <laughs> <Do> outside. <laughs> uh, and with all the creatures that we do, I mean, yeah, all the smoke just bombs. Just just, smoke like, sometimes I walk by Joe and like, hey, I have this concept, smoke bomb, and then I come back an hour later. Hello. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, just just reading through some of those uh, little entries and seeing, okay, well, that's all that has been said to be true. What else would have to be true about this place, assuming it has life? Um, and once you start asking those questions, um, a lot of weird answers can come to the fore. Um, especially if you're assuming some sort of like standard ecology or food web or the like. Um, and I don't know, maybe you even turn the, the low trophic levels into the most dangerous things. <laughs> this is the planet where all of the, all the apex predators live in fear of the carnivorous algae, whatever it happens to be. Um, and remembering that food webs exist and that yeah. most things need to consume some sort of energy to, you know, then use energy. Yeah. <laughs> that can be helpful. Because especially in Starfinder, when virtually anything goes, uh, you get kind of lost in the weeds and forget that they need to kind of make sense <laughs> yeah. to keep, some keep, degree. Keep like, some logic within yeah. the, the setting. Like there's suspension of disbelief and then there's just like, uh, It's, it's thrown out the window sense, into yeah. the black hole. <laughs> but but as I was pointing out for Starfinder, like if you just have a planet where X is true yeah. and you have been able to sell the idea mm-hmm. that X is true, then everything else, so long as it follows that logic, the, the players will probably just kind of nod along with. And um, you can also just invent planets if you have cool alien ideas. <laughs> and like something makes sense on any planet I know of. Okay, now there's a planet that is that. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know, maybe our... Uh, one of the other things that I remember when we were doing Alien Archive um, is getting in a room and basically saying, okay, we know that for the uh, 60 to 80, however many uh, there were in there, um, we know that we have like 20 of them that we want to make happen. Let's brainstorm ideas. And it was just a matter of throwing single or single words or like two to three word phrases at a whiteboard and kind of nodding excitingly and not knowing what to do from there. <laughs> Um, well, we know what to do. We take a picture of the whiteboard. <laughs> and, then, and then we pass it to you, and you're like, Joe, assign this thing and figure out how it works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, the, one of the ones I remember from that brainstorming meeting, uh, or other ones like it, maybe uh, the two of you also have some cool memories of these. Sure. Uh, the one I remember, uh, well, are the Recruitchies from Alien Archive 3, which are basically kind of mollusk people. 
Yeah. Um, they, they lived a sedentary life, and at some point they were like, we could actually walk around. But it was um, built entirely off of a bet at the very end of that meeting um, because we were busy doing all of our, like, brainstorms, like, what if we had, like, sentient gas or uh, stuff like that. Um, and I was just like, I just want to throw the term arm bailing up there. And James was like, that sounds cool. Can you do a creature with that? I was like, sure. Why not? <laughs> and then I got an assignment for it, and uh, I was told to make an arm bailing creature that was also a playable race. Um, you know, decisions were made, mm-hmm. and uh, something cool came out of it. But, but sometimes you can just have that visual component that inspires everything else. Like, I don't know, six horns on its shoulders. Cool. Like, if the, that's what inspires you. I'm sure we can design a creature straight from there. Yeah. And why are they there and what? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, ideally, they evolved for a reason. Uh, I try to forget all the weird ideas we put up in the brainstorm. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of specific examples. Well, I mean, there's, I've, I've only been privy to the AA3 brainstorm, so I don't think I want to throw out any of those examples. Just yet. <laughs> but uh, how about, or even some of the Pathfinder ones? Oh, Pathfinder ones. I mean, no, because we, we <laughs> I haven't been part of a Pathfinder one. <laughs> I will say that uh, weirder is better, especially, yeah. I mean, Starfinder, that's what I love about Starfinder to do whatever it wants. It's kind of out there. <laughs> but I, mean, I think also... Oh, oh, sorry, I was going to say, I think starting with a weird idea is actually pretty good because then you can reel yourself in yeah. as opposed to it's, I feel, a lot harder to work with something that's eh, okay and then try to make it weird. Yeah. That, that yeah. Is, adding weirdness is always a lot harder than just, oh, no, maybe this is a little much. I'll just pull <laughs> it in a little bit. That's totally true. I was, I was going to say that, you know, we Starfinder needs to be its own thing and we, we like it that way and we pick up a lot of stuff from Pathfinder and use the cool things that work and people want to see in space too but we don't want to just take, take a Pathfinder best and say space on every entry <laughs> just like get the space stamp and go space space okay well we did that yeah. but yeah because you're making aliens yeah make them feel they alien really be alien like, they don't only come from the same planet um, especially because uh, Starfinder at this point with Alien Archive 2 has created se- has several different spreads of um, like generic predator generic herd animal, hey look, dinosaurs, yeah. um, that give you some of the general tools if you just need to fill in a pretty basic niche, like I want squirrels that chitter angrily and throw rocks. Cool. Uh, we can probably accomplish that with one of those. Um, but if you want them to do something more extreme and create their own distinct alien, then make it, make it pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, you have all that space for it. Yeah, we'll get into that later probably a little more is how creatures are created in Starfinder, but you take ideas and then basically add graphs to those ideas. It kind of keeps things simple. Um, and that's one of the graphs you can add is the herd animal or uh, an environmental graph. Actually, you take the herd animal base stat block and then say, what planet is this squirrel on? Is it a lava planet? Is it a lava squirrel? Okay, great. I'll add this fire immunity. Ugh, to go. Yeah. Lava squirrels. I already like it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is how we get, this is how we get fire whales, yeah, yeah. Joe. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I was going to say about needing weird ideas is that with uh, with Alien Archive 3, I've been waiting to tell people this, so I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, but with the release of Alien Archive 3, we'll have more than 100 playable species in Starfinder. Which I was, I was like stopping myself. I was like, wait. <laughs> Is it playable or total? It can't be total. It's literally, it's more than 100 playable, which is like, blows my mind. (laughs) It is awesome. It's that cantina feel we're going for. Um, 
I that, that I'm sure Starfinder that. Society will find a way to adapt oh, yeah. to. Yeah. Gee, shucks, dang. Actually, some of them sometimes. <laughs> boons, so many boons. Yeah, but as far as uh, inspiration goes, especially if you're just creating aliens for a uh, home game, um, this is a little bit trickier if you're doing them for publication. You can seek inspiration from just existing media. So if you want to make the Aliens movie Xenomorphs, you, you can totally pull inspiration from that and say, I want a thing that has like three sets of jaws. Awesome. Cool. Bite people. It's going to be awesome. Um, or whatever, whatever you know, uh, sci-fi horror movie or anime or whatever you like. You can borrow ideas and, and seek inspiration from those things. Um, and especially for a home game, sometimes it'll be the case where by playing off some of those tropes, you get a little bit more buy-in from your players because they, they kind of are familiar with the experience you're going for at that point. Um, whereas if you're doing it for publication, then the whole nature of intellectual property and the like can be <laughs> yeah. trickier to dance around. That is, that is a good balance, too. Uh, if you go too weird, people don't have any touchstones and they're not yeah. really sure what's going on with your creature. And so having something that's familiar but new in some interesting ways is, is probably the best way to go. Uh, another way you can build those touchstones beyond just like, oh, going with the familiar is actually build them up. If you start with a creature that is mostly the same but it has like an extra eye stock or whatever, and, you know, oh, hey, here's this lava squirrel. It's got an extra eye. But eventually, down the line, while they're exploring the lava planet, you see creatures that have more eye stocks and then start getting more different. And eventually, you build up to this thing that is completely alien, where if you threw it at them right away, it's like, what is this thing? What does it do? But it, it, if they learn more abilities, like, oh, its eye shoots lasers, and later they have tentacles, and later, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they swim through lava and spit, you know, lava breath and stuff like that and by the end of it when it does all the ridiculous things that the players have built up to that and you know you can also show progressions of like species evolution or planetary evolution on a like widespread scale that way like oh you know the, the more submerged you are under lava apparently the crazier you get things like that. yes yes that is true <laughs> so um, and, sorry had a thought but it's gone whatever <laughs> we have time to get it back we do all right, so visual oddities, whenever, uh, some planetary inspiration. Uh, oh, right, I know what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, both of you bringing up sort of like building up toward the weird or not going so weird that it's incomprehensible, yeah. um, there is a trope of uh, basically the third, the third dimension of the alignment axis. Um, where you have your uh, good and evil and your law and chaos, but the notion of either uh, orange and blue alignment axis or the bacon necktie, um, where it's like, what what does bacon mean in alignment? What does necktie equal alignment? The fact is, we don't know. Uh, this The notion of something that has such an alien psychology that it's no longer something that processes the PCs as they process themselves, and vice versa. They don't see the world in the same way. There is no morality that the players can understand sometimes that level of alien if you're going for just the notion of we are fish out of water or we are so out of our psychological element uh, sometimes that can be good for storytelling but if you go so far that like both both the PCs and the creatures are just missing each other entirely or exist on completely different planes that never interact um, then you might have gone a little too far so just be mindful of where that line is you, you could take a lot of the creatures in these books uh, and if 
you really thought it through, it would probably end up there. Where it's like, yeah. actually, they wouldn't really understand humans at, at all. <laughs> like, it wouldn't make any sense to them. But we glossed that over for the sake of fun, having fun games. <laughs> right? Yeah. The end goal here. <laughs> yeah, it's not really necessarily fun for the players if they show up. The mission giver is just like, I would like you to do this thing. Um, also, I don't know how to use the conditional uh, mood in my yes. speech, and the future has no meaning. Yeah. <laughs> what? Please recover this MacGuffin. <laughs> um, so, no. There's a line. Um, and then, uh, I don't think we've gone as much into, like... We, we've started with, like, a visual oddity or a planetary oddity. Um, sometimes it's also just an ability, like some sort of special power. Breath weapons are super straightforward, but you might just go in saying, I, know, I want things to be able to shoot lasers in ways that uh, microwave the inside of the PC's body so that it spawns flowers. I have no idea what that creature looks like, <laughs> but it sure went up on the whiteboard. <laughs> if, if, you want, if you're needing to get out of here to do something else, uh, the shortcut to designing and concepting aliens is take an existing one and just reskin it, right? Like change a few of the details, change its special ability. Uh, to be a different kind of damage, you know, change, change the superficial stuff about it, and you'll have a still balanced alien that you can use, and that your players also won't know what it is. They won't be sitting there looking it up on Archives of Nethys and being like, "Okay, <laughs> getting free." You don't. You can even get away with not even changing like damage types or stuff like that by just describing it mm-hmm. as a different thing and totally. use literally the exact same stat block. I mean. If we have like you know space trolls, but we describe it as some weird furry creature that lives in a cave and like clings to the top of a cave, and like oh no one immediately thinks trolls and knows up and throw fire at it and use that to shut off its regeneration, even though that's exactly the stat block you're using yeah. and that's going to work exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, as a GM using some of these creatures, the best results I tend to have is not ever even naming it. Mm-hmm. Um, or showing a picture. Or showing a picture, yeah. um, especially one that the players might have seen as they flip through the alien archive themselves. <laughs> like, oh, I know what this is. It's CR6. We can totally handle this. Guys. Oh, no. Um, but, uh, you know, like, I have scared off fourth-level uh, parties in Pathfinder by just having a very angry horse and describing <laughs> the sounds that it makes as it is stuck in a stable, unable to even get at them. They're like, we can't open that stable. It can't be a secret door. And they were just... Don't go and bother Death Horse. Like, so w- once you have named something and given that name to the PCs, they have a little encapsulated means of understanding it, and you have given them power. Um, whereas if it is simply the, the deathly clopping in the night and the, uh, the rattle from within the stables and the, the steam that escapes the nostrils, then suddenly they're like, I have no idea what this thing's powers are, and it could kill every one of us with a breath. Um, we, we can't trust this. Speaking of names, do you do you have any tips for naming these things? I struggle with that personally. <laughs> um, yeah. I like to come up with both an alien name, just like the the bark barkness, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's hard, oh. uh, <laughs> but but then also give it a, a common name that most people refer to it as. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, they they know it uh, as the uh, laser fiend, mm-hmm. you know, and. That kind of gives away a, the suggestion of what it might be capable of doing, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, if someone wants to roll uh, uh, to to learn about the creature, then you can be like, "Oh, actually, this thing is named blah 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 blah." Mm-hmm. And then you know they can give you that whole academic spiel about it, uh, <laughs> sure. about it. But but you know, like when you go and arrive in the spaceport, and they're like, "Oh, don't don't go down onto the planet because that that's where the laser fiends are, and they they show up at night and they shoot across the sky." It's like, "Oh, well, okay." <laughs> that's that's enough to. to 
you know, suggest ideas and stuff without specifically, you know, it's this thing, and you, it's in page 146, because I know the exact name now. <laughs> yeah, as far as naming goes, uh, one of the things I really like to do is um, consider the physiology of what the creature has for saying words, if it can at all. Um, so if, so if I have a creature that doesn't have lips, then there are certain consonants that I'm just going to stop using in its naming process, especially in the name that it gives itself. Um, so a lipless creature probably would not call itself like the Moominoms. Uh, that is not going to work. Um, so you can start to create a little bit of the, the linguistic anthropology of what these creatures would use on a regular basis and even how they would process like common in the Starfinder campaign setting, um, whether or not this is a comfortable thing to them, or whether part of their language is based entirely on like proximate vibrations or smell, um, things that aren't going to translate to the PCs necessarily, um, but give the thing a little bit more of a weird edge, which might mean, like, like you were saying, uh, Luis, uh, they have their name, and then we have the one that we use for them. Uh, it could be as simple as the laser fiends, like you mentioned, or it could be something completely more scientific sounding that still uses the letters that we have to play with. Especially in a publication, it's really hard to use anything beyond the 26 that we have. <laughs> There's a few things I want to say about this. Uh, one, there's maybe another place where you can anchor things and say, you know, let me give someone a familiar word or sound that is associated with this kind of, like if it's a kind of canine creature, you can work some of those sounds into the name so that it anchors the idea for them. Um, but when it comes to we, we, we make a distinction between sapience and sentience, so like a sapient creature feels things, but a sent, uh, sorry, sentient creature feels things, but a sapient creature thinks and recognizes self and all that, and that's basically playable and non-playable is the difference there. And so I, I think a sapient creature will have named itself, uh, and, a, and a sentient creature is probably named by the people that, that the sapient creatures that live near it. Um, yeah, yeah. And... In terms of communicating, uh, we, we had this big hullabaloo between the Starfinder developers and the editors trying to figure out, uh, last year, this, these panels, when these were two panels, we made a Cephalum, it was called, mm -hmm. that's going to be an Alien Archive 3, which is pretty cool, uh, but it's a uh, squid folk that live in liquid methane and communicate via bioluminescence, and so we're like, do they speak common? How do they speak? Like, and it became this big thing. You'll, you'll have to wait to Alien Archive 3 to see what we did, because I don't remember. <laughs> but, wait, wait, way to frame the teaser there, Joe. Like, how, do we, how do we make this fit into a world where adventure is going to be coming in saying, hello, and they'll just be like, whoa. <laughs> like, like, well, the good, good talk. Yeah. Uh, can, can, how about you just use the flashlight to yeah. point back at it? Oh, now they're fighting us. I mean, that might have been one of our solutions at one point. <laughs> I see it as an adventure hook. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, so as far as a um, couple other inspirations uh, media that I'd like to point out, there is a really cool field of speculative biology out there uh, that has a whole bunch of really fun literature. Um, just to quickly introduce you to a couple of those, um, brought three different books by Terrell Whitlatch, who does a whole bunch of um, basically artistic and scientific drawings of possible mashups of existing creatures or saying, what if I were to combine a whole bunch of uh, possibilities for a certain world expectation. Um, and so this is largely a visual thing as opposed to you know, going into a whole bunch of detail as to why is it this 
and more concept drawings. Mm -hmm. But flipping through some books about speculative biology can be a really great um, introduction to coming up with cool ideas. Um, so I have three different ones of these up here if at some point people want to flip through these like on the break or the like. Uh, in addition, <clears throat> one of the gold standards as far as uh, speculative biology uh, casual reading is After Man um, by Dougal Dixon. And this is a really cool one that explores the notion of what Earth's, uh, Earth's zoological specimens would look like after about 25 million years of evolution. Um, so it's like, all right, well, let's go ahead and take rabbits. And assuming that certain creatures die out, how would rabbits like evolve to fill that niche? What would they look like? What would their behavior be like? Um, and this thing has a couple of really famous uh, spreads and pictures in it, including uh, one of the most famous ones that is about these uh, carnivorous land-based uh, echolocating bat creatures that basically look like if you mashed up uh, velociraptors with bats and uh, then just got very scared. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, these guys. So it's a really cool study into what is possible and even though uh, this in particular is based off of what Earth would look like, it can still inspire a whole bunch of really neat ideas. And sometimes all you need is a quick little sense of, oh, right, um, ferrets. How would, I, how would I alienify ferrets? And then you can kind of work from there uh, or see what other people have done and say, for my home game, I sure do want to p turn, you know, uh, Terrell Woodlatch's thing from this one book into a whole set of stat blocks. Cool, and you already have a piece of art that you can show to your PC or your players, and they can freak out and also feel really cool that you have this cool art of it. Wow, did you custom order that? Uh, sure, sure, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I ordered the book on Amazon. <laughs> show. Um, so that can be a lot of fun. Um, kind of goes back to that whole consuming media and just tearing what you want from it for your home games, at least. I think uh, another wonderful place to grab inspiration from is just from real world, real world creatures. I mean, we are all aliens to someone else, uh, wow, and wow. some of our yeah. <laughs> Let's just let that sink. Uh, so, I mean, some of our I you look at you know even just like more simpler things that you think oh no no big deal but like a kangaroo if you look at that and think about it it's just like this is a big rabbit rat thing with a pouch on the that's yeah. kind of weird like it, and it keeps its baby there forever and it just hangs out I mean. But then you look at something even more more alien that feels like it actually just like crash landed here and yeah. has been here forever, like an octopus. Yeah, um, basically anything that lives underwater. <laughs> but what are you? Like <laughs> octopi on their own just are really weird. Then you look at something like the mimic octopus, where it can physically change its texture to mimic that of like a rock or a coral around it. It's like, oh, I want something that can do that. And, just, and they're basically like underwater reptoids, and that they like <laughs> mimic other species yeah. entirely. Like, oh no. So, so taking an aspect like, you know, just a creature with a big pouch or, or the ability to, to change your, your physical structure like that can be a great ability that you can build a creature around. There have been times where looking for art reference for to send to an artist to do some alien art. I said art like eight times. Wow. Uh, looking through a book of things that are from Earth, I'm like, I can't send this. doesn't look real. Like, no one will believe that this is a real thing. So I need to, like, make it a little less weird so that it looks more like it doesn't break immersion. Or someone's just like, because 
I don't know. That can't be a real thing. Yeah, no, nothing would evolve like that. It's super yeah. incredible. So, some of the most eye-opening but inspiring Wikipedia rabbit holes I've gone down have been like, let's look at arthropods. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh no, <laughs> never want to see any of these ever again. Was <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Well>, that? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, insect metamorphosis. Whoa. Never find a picture of a penguin with its mouth open facing the camera. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, like all the tongue barbs that they have. Uh-huh. I've not seen that. Or the close-up of a cat tongue is also yeah. really off-putting. Do we maybe want to start, like, trying to get some ideas together designing an alien? about, yeah. so we can then have that ready for our <laughs> second half? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is our second half? Where we, we, take, we go through the appendix and... and Give it stats. Sweet. We, we make a zap block in the end. Um, one other thing I'll add in just uh, for the inspiration bits before we get into that is uh, think about how your alien interacts with others around it. Um, we talked about the food web thing a little bit, but you might have something that has a mutualistic experience with some other alien there uh, that can then inspire future design. Um, and even if you're not giving stats to that second creature, you're leaving little um, design possibilities down the road especially in publication where you can then say when we're doing Alien Archive 4, I don't know, um, be like, oh, hey, we sure did name this thing. Great. That is one more thing that we can put in that is an existing touchstone that we do not have to throw words at a wall to brainstorm about. Yeah. Um, it can be great fun. You can also do the opposite. If it's a creature that might have a natural predator, what defenses does it have? And you know, Or, or if it's a predator, what, what kind of things did it evolve to catch its prey? Yeah. You know, is it super fast? Does it have just extendo arms that then claw and pull the, the creature back in, stuff like that that you can use to, you know, a different creature in the environment to, to build off of what you're working with. I really like the idea of the defenses that you brought up. So if something has that extendo arm that it uses to snag people, uh, what does it, what has its prey evolved to do? And maybe by the end of it you're like, I'm more interested in designing the prey species. Uh, especially if it's something the PCs would be like, okay, well let's go and poke at that thing and before you know it's like a barbed skunk or it, it flash molts to like just like escape and leaves just a husk behind that gets pulled back I'm on board for that yeah. <laughs> alright so um, yeah so let's start uh, kind of getting a sense of what sort of alien we're going to make uh, in the long run um, do we want to start with like just a creature type or concept or what uh, let's leave creature type till later till later we can yeah. that's part of the stat block creation we can just talk about the idea of what what kind of creature we want. So let's go do a little bit of uh, throwing words at a wall and we'll see what, yeah. what we have as a list. I mean, I like the words flash molt. Mm-hmm. Flash molt. All right. Flash <laughs> molt is the first on our possibilities. <laughs> well. Lava squirrels, for sure. Yeah, All right. I'll, I'll lava. put on lava and squirrel. That's like uh, foul Foul odor. Foul odor. <laughs> a sentient foul odor. I mean, yeah, like a squirt, 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 yeah, a like musk. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. That's a, like skink, kind of. <laughs> like a rat creature with musk. A musk. <laughs> <laughs> You've Same gone too here. far, Joe. <laughs> Nobody will ever buy that. <laughs> Do you have any other ideas out there? could even just be simple, like just a big bite or something yeah. like that. I'm, I'm remembering what you were saying about anything that lives underwater and the vampire octopus. Vampire octopus. That it's this livid red thing. It's got teeth 
all along the insides of all eight of its arms, Ugh. and then it in in the in the complete dark, it has a bioluminescence display along the edge, like it's like most octopuses you re- you think of of having like individual arms, but it's got this like has the membranes between skin mm. between each of its arms. So two times its skin. So so I, so I put teeth on arms because yeah. I feel even if we don't go with like teeth oh, on sure. tentacles. We might get something real weird with teeth on arms. And, um, skin cape. Skin cape. Uh, I can read that in multiple ways. I hate all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I can also see skin cape being like, and then it skins people and turns it oh. into clothing. Or with its flash mold, then it'll mold, and then it'll cover itself in its molding. Oh, it's like why why did you not just keep the skin on your body that's not how I evolved (laughs) I just feel like a reptile who like sheds its skin sheds its skin yeah I did see a caterpillar I believe that molts its head and like keeps it and so it has like a tiny head on top of a bigger head on top of a bigger head like it just stays there and stacks I saved yeah yeah I saved the the reference on my computer at work just to be like one day. So, so should I, what should I put down? Like skull hat? Yeah. Okay. Cubone. Yeah. 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 I'll put a question mark after that one. All right. All right. So, so this is part of the process. You just start throwing yeah. out ideas, and not. I assume not all of these are going to go into the same alien, but. Uh, I think so far. The, the, the skin cape and the flash with the, the creature that sort of has the long arm that reaches out, and of course the the. The skin cape is how it escapes. Well, so, so, so part of it, you know, it, it molts, but not completely. So it's like it, so it's a, oh, hey, you grab it. It's like the, like a cat, like has, has really loose skin. Uh-huh. Or like some of, the, some of the dogs, like Rhodesian Ridgebacks, have really loose skin so that if they were bred to hunt lions, lion bites, it doesn't, you know, doesn't actually get anything. It molts a little bit, you know. Predator catches the loose skin and just regrows that, that loose cape. But it's, it's not so much completely molting, but... What if like it comes off as a whole and it like turns inside out and it emits foul odor from it? Ah, good. Skin odor. Skin skin cape (laughs) equals stinky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the skin coat that throws off, like it's it looks like it, but like turned inside out, so it's all foul and gross and slimy. That's awesome. (laughs) I feel sorry for these PCs. I, (laughs) I, I I tend to 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 feel like anytime I go, ooh, I, I, we're on a good yeah, track. Right. <laughs> Especially because those tend to lead to some really fun art orders. Because <laughs> in uh, the Alien Archive books, uh, we have the we have two different illustrations. So you can do one with the skin, mm-hmm. and then we could do one with like the skin peeling off of it. And I mean, one of the things... <laughs> our, our team loves that. We, I mean, we do, with Starfinder in particular, we often have... We try to have player options for most of our creatures, whether they're sentient... If they're sapient, then you're, it's a playable stats to play them as... as or like if you encounter race. one of these that's already molted, and then you find one that hasn't, and you think they're like two different creatures. Or, mm, yeah. so or you find the molting. But yeah, I, my pile of... This is a... This is like a scavenge... Not a scavenging, but like... there's the, Instead of having predators, like a plant that eats things, but... It's, you know, it also eats the plant, so it eats like the fruits of the plant, and it's got to get close enough before it, and, you know, it, so, it uses, so if it gets caught, it uses its skin cape to, to escape. Yeah, and you're just starting to go, you're starting to go down a dangerous but delightful road, Joe, like, remember that some of these things can be playable species. Mm-hmm. 
Oh boy, now I get to play alongside uh, the like <laughs> skin cape <laughs> molting. This does not yet sound like a playable species thing. But, but you, say, you say there's, that, we but... also for non-playable, we often have items or other things. And one of the things we constantly do is kill our poor aliens and usually skin them and wear them as armor. Or <laughs> because we're really we're civilized people, yeah, you understand. Armor upgrades, but the, you know, anytime you can think of something cool, like. Yeah. that a player could use or like you know, take like the stinky husk and like yeah, exactly. grind it down to make a stink but, bomb or something. Yeah, but, exactly. but, I, but I also like the notion that you were bringing up of that there are these cast off skin pieces that the PCs could find mm -hmm. because that starts to be an inspiring story element that yeah. I love to read about in these Alien Archives books because I can see now how I can foreshadow this creature and tell a bigger story rather than we're on a planet it jumps out skin cape might even be a valuable thing it might have some Oh, like am, like like, like, like ambergris. Yeah, ambergris. or an intact one is more valuable than just yeah, shreds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the or the stuff from the the Akanas, like the. Oh yeah, the yeah. uh, no the no call husks. Well, but the uh, these these items though, do they have to even be produced from the creature? No, no, they or can be inspired. Be inspired yeah. yeah, there's the uh, okay, Nishalora, the big dinosaur yeah. with like sonic uh, scythe arms and. Uh, I think weapons are not made from them, but they are made to replicate the effects of those devastating. Yeah, so we could have like a set of armor that you wear that has like a once per day you you leave behind a, oh, like yeah. a shell of yourself. Yeah. And it's got a costume. Yeah. yeah. Um, you feed UPB into it and you that. Along the lines of skin cape, I'm thinking of maybe on a very windy planet, say. Uh, Ugh. Oof. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm walking along and a skin cape just slaps into me at some point. No, but, but you use it to catch air. Worse, yeah, exactly. Or if they can use it to. Yeah, yeah. or they can just like send up a like a chute that just like launches oh, like, them, oh, like to escape. Just, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just catch the wind and take off. Okay, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> skin chute. Flying squirrel. Uh, these words, I don't. <laughs> So I'd love to hear Tears part of this. How you deal with the art orders when it comes to oh my God. It's so freaking weird. It's tough. <laughs> so, see, and this is where sometimes we have to start reeling in some of the weirdness, yeah. where we realize, oh, maybe this is just too much either for stats for, or for art. Like, I think we could maybe reasonably order, like, the, the skin parachute thing. Oh, or just like a here's an empty shell and just take the creature and then make it look like a you know, multi version, but like one mid bite ripping off stuff like that. That's a lot of work. And it, yeah. well, and then what, what is the skin cape made of? Are you are you talking like oh, it's more like a chitin because that that material is, is so readily available, mm -hmm. or like what does it eat so yeah. that you're so that it has that material resource like uh, crest eaters, for example, like mm -hmm. love them and they're incorporated into my campaign very well because of, you know, it describes, like, this This is what the crest is made of, this is why When it comes to the uh, art order piece as well, uh, providing references is super handy. So if we, if we know that we want this to have, like, flying squirrel level flaps or something like that, then we can provide a flying squirrel reference art piece. Or, or um, that webbing. We for can that even circle part. parts of it, say, like, this part of it, but yeah, the more complicated it gets, the more, they can generally just want to have a couple sentences. Uh -huh. And we have artists, we have great artists and a great art team. Uh, they're from all over the world. English isn't necessarily the first language, and so there's a lot of translation, like you want to make sure you're being clear about what you want. There's, there's, like if you ask stories for, about. I mean, I have a thing recently yeah. where if you ask for feathered hair, you know, expecting this, as opposed, and then you get back someone with a lot of feathers in their hair. Uh -huh. <laughs> there was one, I can't remember exactly, but we, we asked for like a, a person with a 
let's just say a horse's head on their shoulders, and they got a person with a horse's head on their shoulders, <laughs> like mounted like, on the yeah, one on so, one shoulder. Yeah, um, yeah. But depending upon the artist and and uh, who you're working with, and uh, how much you've worked with them, at least some of the artists, uh, I'm thinking of like Gray Herb for who does a lot of Starfinder Society work, okay. really loves getting a sentence or two of what we're actually aiming for yeah. con- conceptually. Uh, when we were designing the uh, the Jinsels, which is the big uh, Starfinder Society foe for year one, um, we basically led in with a couple sentences of like, these are going to be the big, bad, like, insectile, nearly faceless, scary things. We are open to you doing some weird things, um, and we kind of wanted this general structure. Um, and there's a lot of good back and forth. That's not going to be the case with um, all artists, and it's not going to be the case for, like, especially big projects where you're juggling a hundred or more pieces of art. But, but sometimes you can develop that relationship to, to make it a little bit more collaborative um, and say, conveying the purpose of what you're going for can have, can be very productive for some. Yeah. I, I've worked artist alleys at a lot of conventions on the East Coast, and there was a guy who came through at one point and commissioned the same description from every artist. Oh, that's neat. That's cool. To see what people did with this description, how it differed, how they put their own art style twist onto it. And there were some of them that he was like, yeah, I I, I never imagined this with this description. And there were a lot of them that were thematically almost identical, but the art style was different. And just kind of getting this census of, of... what sort of the human union reaction to this description? Yeah, and and just to very briefly uh, digress into like production stuff. Sometimes we get back art based on our order, art orders that is not really what we were aiming for, and it's a lot easier to change words than it is to change art. Yeah. Um, so it can be like, well, we didn't intend the lava squirrels to have that eye stalk, but it ended up with an eye stalk. Okay, we need to explain the eye stalk. Um, or what have you. Part of the process is getting a sketch in that we can. Yes. Kind of see where they're going and say, okay, that looks great. Make, just make sure that that eighth yeah, arm isn't in there. Ten, like, yeah. ten sketches, you go that one. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes yeah, that's the case too. Do you guys ever do revisions for the artists? Yeah. Every once in, while. In, yeah, every once in a while, we we try to avoid just because it, it takes a long time to get back and forth and stuff. But it, it, there are some cases where it's happened. Uh, yeah, there. We can uh, do some in house if it's more minor. Yeah, if so. someone needs a different hair color, for example, yeah. that's easy enough for us to change, or mm-hmm. our our team to change it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we had we team of five, well, but none of them are doing art for the books. They're they're doing layout and design uh, and ordering art and working with artists, but we don't have any in house artists in, in, so yeah. the Illust- that actually illustrate in house. Yeah. No concept artist. That'd be right. great. We would love that. Um, We'd love that. That'd be cool. So, anyone have any more ideas about either <laughs> either non skin flap or, <laughs> or skin flap? Completely different. Idea. Okay. 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 Yeah. Like a um, kind of something that like, starts off as a small organism, gets ingested or injected by by something into a creature, but then slowly just starts to take over that creature, like from the inside. Like, oh, hey, the arm. Starts to like starts to mutate in particular ways. Like oh, it gets bigger and and eventually it just takes over the entire creature into into an adult. So I'm writing down life cycle involves parasitism. Yes, mm-hmm. but, but I mean like, I, like 
Is it, is it hoping to eventually take over the body entirely? Take, yes. Take okay. Over oh, okay. Entire As opposed to just live within... Before hatching. Yeah. Check out A3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Are we talking like the scarabs from the mummy? Or are uh, like more like... More, almost, but like more like a biological... Yeah. Like, like long, long time frame before... Something similar, like okay, so so we have we have several different possible takeover possibilities. Uh, Any other ideas that people want to toss out? I want to add to that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like a Medusa seed, Uh, it turns you into a plant, turns you into a tree. The seed uses biological material to grow into a tree that ends up shaped like whatever creature it ended up. Wee. Okay. Jelly, jellyfish, maybe the best itself is a Okay. Okay. Gotta look at what what kind of posts is it looking at because parasites also evolve to specifically towards whatever they're being parasites off of. Yeah, off that's true. Off their mm-hmm. host, because something that that it just blood, you know, blood is a very very largely three different uh, possibilities and the last one is an overlap of the or is a combination of the first two one it is adapted to things in its own environment which means probably not the pcs in which case you're focusing more on how does this thing graft onto other aliens that are already in that environment and how can it make them more interesting or more unexpected Um, the other is that it is adapted to deal with uh, things that are more like the PCs, in which case now can turn into more of uh, an affliction, possibly. Um, or it could be both. It could be some sort of universal parasite, in which case, kudos, uh, you're a very well-adapted little parasite. Um, <laughs> some, of the, some of the endearing language that I, <laughs> I have for people. Yes. Um, all right, so different Medusa seed possibilities. Talked about anything big, like anything really huge. Just in terms of size? Bias, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could have really big if if we're going with like a parasite. I mean, is there a parasite that is planet size that attaches to entire planets and Mm. somehow like gets into like the core of a a planet and uses that energy for a while? Yeah, yeah. So when when I think of oh yeah yeah because we do sometimes do ship scale creatures where yeah, it is a living creature but it sure does use starship combat yeah, it, would be, it would suck if you're going through the drift and just a giant amoeba attaches to the ship and like uh. not for the gem that'd be pretty cool <laughs> you do have some of that well so like so does it yeah, does it attach to the ship what is it feeding on is it feeding on the ship's energy is it feeding on magic well that's for us geothermal yeah. I mean, yeah. that's is it reaching out the, the components of the ship itself? Is it eating the ceramic? Is it eating the metal? Is it it's only eating tendrils the cheese from the fridge? Where's all the cheese going? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea of something that's planetized also means that you can start to break that into its own 
its own ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I hesitate to use the term microbiome with something the size of a planet. <laughs> microbiome. Uh, yeah, but, but that's a possibility. Where a creature the size of a planet is going to have microbiology inside it. Yes, and what, that, what I'm getting at with that is that you can have whatever your big creature is, and kind of in the description of it, you can reference some of the things that live within it, mm -hmm. or even some of the ways that it you know, sporulates. And now these spores are each CR3. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Um, but these can inspire other, other uh, pieces of design. And so if we go with this, if I were to somehow combine all of these ideas together, um, Imagine. yeah, uh, maybe some of them are true about the big planet-sized thing. Maybe others are only true about one of the things that lives within it. What if the planet molts? What if the planet molts? <laughs> Molting planet. <laughs> I know what we're putting into A. Well, like you've got, you've got an organism the size of a planet. Like humans have skin mites that are part of our essential biome that feed off of the flakes of dead skin that just naturally generate from our living. But, like, but, what would the skin mites? Then there are, in fact, an uh, Alien Archive 2, which we've used a couple oh. times in society. There are things called asteroid lice. Life <laughs> <laughs> well, of me, I don't know what they eat to this day, but. <laughs> What, what we're doing now is, is trending more into planet design, really, uh, designing a world, because we're not going to stat up a CR, even 25 planet that you can kill. <laughs> so Probably not I mean? today, like, at least. Yeah, yeah. Or it's, ship or it's, asteroid sized is more reasonable. Yeah. But, but if we want to use this planet-sized parasite thing as our basis for the ecology yes, in which this thing lives, exactly. then I think that's a really good yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, we're thinking about the environment more than we're thinking about an actual creature that we're going to set up. Central question. I know that there's, you know, some, shit, some creatures that are, you know, in, in AA1 there was the, the inverter devil. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it the creature and the ship. Is there, has there been any thought on, like, creature and vehicle chase rules, kind of? Because I know that's because that's like one of the things. Like I, I was just thinking about, um, you know, in caves where, where bats are leaving, there's you know these centipedes mm. that like hang and kill kill bats. Like well, that I would concept that as like a vehicle chase kind of thing. And there's these creatures that that would act in particular ways. That that can be kind of one of those player facing rules things. Um, uh, like robots in Alien Archive 2, there's the siege robot has rules for using it as a vehicle. So we, we can do that too. Which is just another good consideration. Hey, what parts of the rules have we yet to interact with uh, with our creatures? Or just makes the most sense to, uh -huh. yeah. to use. Yeah. So turning that planet back into a creature, maybe the husk that it throws off actually becomes like a sentient being and evolves that way. Sure. For many millennia, it devours a planet. So are there any other uh, like words or phrases that we want to toss around for our consideration? Katamari. Katamari. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't played it. It's just a game where you roll up, start small rolling up objects and just get this big ball of objects that gets bigger and bigger. And... I was stuck on um, that part where we're all talking about lashing onto the ships. We have the space whales. Uh -huh. Maybe it's something that evolved to, to devour them from the, the inside. Space or like... Or even just catch a ride from them. Or like the, the... What's that fish that lives off the shark? Remora. Remora. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just catches a ride with yeah. it and, and cleans it, it up. Off of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was thinking maybe like a space swarm. Mm -hmm. That like feeds off of the 
Space whales. Yeah. <laughs> When in doubt, I tend to put down the term bioluminescence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we did that last year. Sure. Oh, did you? Oh, that's true. Nope. nope, nope. This is the brand, write it down. Ah, bioluminescence. Uh, does anyone have, can we get a couple of just weird environments, like black hole or something that black might, might black I mean black hole, yeah, but that might be interesting. Well, like, you have yeah, high, high pressure. Like, high pressure. Like, under, underwater, like a... Yep. High, yep. High, high gravity. Heat. Hold on, we had gra- high gravity back there. High right? gravity. And what did you say? I said Nimbus cloud. Nimbus cloud. Ooh, the high heat. You said. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, or like even under, under lava, because lava is actually insanely dense. Yeah. Yep. In lava. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Graveyard, charnel pits, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Perfect place for a husk. Mm. Oh. <laughs> True. Husk is lore, kind of an idea. Husk is what? The husk is a lure. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Well, yeah, and the, yeah, the husk yeah, yeah. is developed from the calcium of bones that leaves <laughs> behind. Any other thoughts for environments? Right, we have infinite planets. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Acid. 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 Great. Acid sharks. Well, <laughs> the impression a lot of us really don't like player characters. <laughs> like we have high pressure, high gravity, acid. Well, like there's um, like almost like a, like a pitcher plant kind of kind of thing with a you know it's. The, the acid really is its is its digestive giant di, yeah digestive fluids, but it's open to the environment mm-hmm. and it has lures and just pulls things into it mm-hmm. or just waits for them to fall in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you gonna say? Like the floating islands. Yeah, sure. Because right. mm. we're gonna go back on like the distinct caves and stuff. Mm-hmm. That would be a cool way to travel between yeah. them and stuff. Well, if we're talking about like different densities. Let's just say we don't have a an atmosphere that has different gases at different densities. Different and strata. We have the floating islands mm-hmm. that are kind of floating on the methane mm-hmm. sea with the, the oxygen atmosphere above it and the methane atmosphere below it and the pressure as you get further. We're getting into gas giant and then, and then, uh, yeah. environments here. And you could have a creature that's pretty much an entire, entirely one membranous wing. Like, they just fly, fly around, like, never has to land, just one membrane. One big membrane wing. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Like the floating islands, I don't know if you cool if they were, like, floating because there's just, like, a whole bunch, like, a giant swarm of, like, bugs or something, and the, the islands are floating because of this entire swarm. They're, fly, they're flapping their little wings and keep, yeah, keeping all, it aloft. Like, together, I don't know. Oh, sure, yeah. Bugsy. <laughs> Island <laughs> equals bugs all the way down. <laughs> I think that's uh, got a lot of good ideas for mm-hmm. for next batch, and maybe it's a good time to take a break. Yeah, so we can see about breaking until about noon. Sure. Yeah. So that'll give us five to six minutes to go ahead and stretch your legs, and then we will see about turning some of this into whatever your player character's next nightmare is. <laughs> it's our nightmare. <laughs> Any of these things that uh, <coughs> folks are interested in doing, I figure what we'll do is we'll sort of make a executive decision. Of, okay, let's see about creating. I feel like everyone kind of latched onto the husk idea. I, I really am with you there. <laughs> so, I'm seeing 
flush molds. Of course, I have to be an opportunist. Does Paizo want an in-house uh, That would be something to run by uh, Sarah Robinson, who's the uh, managing art director. In terms of art? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a concept artist. At which point, then, it, then it uses oh, Sarah Robinson. I would, I would love to have one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll let, we'll let someone higher up than us decide. <laughs> That it injects something else. Mm-hmm. It's about the right. Right. Yeah. Well, well, as you guys see on here, so I'm seeing, I'm thinking, watch the is good. I'm just making a note next to the skin capable seat because that might be something for us to return to. Um, there was the idea of the you know, floating the on said skin. Yeah. I think we can find the husking and the flying islands. Yeah. We keep trending into the environment design, and I think that will help us. That's, that's why I have to get some environments before we. Yeah. And that was a good idea. That was a good idea. <laughs> so, floating islands I'm seeing here. I take a picture of all the names oh. so that I can say, like, oh, okay. I'll tell you what, I'm going to turn them. That makes it a little them. easier than having to write it all down because oh, okay. you can get the facts. Afterman um, actually has its own yes. TV series, which yeah, is yep. all available legally on YouTube. Do we want to do Bug Islands? Or should we stick with floating islands? I, I like this gas floating islands and gas giants. Like, yeah, we don't do enough with cool. we don't do enough with gas giants. Yeah, for my liking. Well, even like Venus, or, like Venus, where there's the layered gas, mm-hmm. yeah. but also like any life that would be on Venus would have to either be evolve at one of those different strata. So I'm thinking like like shrimp, for example, in the ocean will go way up and down between levels of the ocean by the time of day, so maybe these go up and down between high and low pressure areas. Um, anything else that you guys see on this that you'd like to run with? How do we feel about stinky? <laughs> the skin cave equals stinky? I'm on board with that. Is there methane? Methane? Uh, no. No, it is not. No, methane is not a real carbon monoxide is. So I feel like... Yeah, they add a... So one of the things I'm seeing from this list is that we have like... The skin shed is the one ability I see out of all this. I'm not seeing a lot of abilities yet mm-hmm. for it. So this is probably going to be a thing where as we go through the design of this, we'll be like, all right, and now that we've given it a defensive ability, this is the point which we as designers normally say, we probably should give it some kind of like a proactive thing. So I'm not seeing it on this list yet, but maybe we'll inspire something off of it. I could be in the middle of the food chain, right? It doesn't have to be purely Absolutely. Anything wrong with making a lower CI thing? You guys are. Is there anything else that you guys would like to make sure happens for the next half? Um, no, I think as long as we. I think we just go through the process and figure it out from there. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, can't think of it. And, and write it down so that I'm happy to keep the texture. <laughs> or at least we have a recording. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, that's harder to work with. It was annoying to listen to the recording. Yeah, I bet. To outline this. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should go with that. <laughs>
20 seconds. Yeah. Um, is there things being developed more that way? I know Signal Screams kind of talked a hint about it in the back, like when they were talking about running horror campaigns. Yeah, um, I do a forward to um, Pathfinder 113 that talks a little bit about dealing with um, horror and horror creatures in adventures, but um, I tend to shy away from Lovecraftian stuff, and partly because it comes with its own, it comes with its own baggage. Uh, so. But Lovecraft is really good about uh, creating a general sense of like there is a much bigger picture and we as humans can only see a portion of it and everything else is a very perturbing darkness beyond it. Well, and they, they um, hint at it in the, in the core rule book when, they're, when they actually hint at Nyarlathotep and, and Azathoth and it's mm -hmm. like, hey, there's these things that you have that you couldn't possibly understand. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, well, this looks, hint, it's hinting, it's like, oh, we're going to develop this a little bit more later on, but not enough that it'll leave you really satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you pull, the, pull back the veil entirely on any of those, then there's no longer the mystery of it. So keeping it as a mystery element is pretty important. Yeah, but I mean, there's, 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 the, the whole point of Nyarlathotep is here. Nyarlathotep is, is, is going on, like, yeah. There's so many different plots. So he's got some jellyfish. But mm -hmm. there's like yeah. more. He's got the Hesmus bodies and all. And the Hesmus is soft, and he's got the T-Sermon's eyes. Nice. Just like you're a basket. There you go. Hi, I'm Fortnite. I'm Fortnite. I'm Which could be inoffensive. Yeah. <laughs> Okie dokie. Welcome back to Designing and Concepting Aliens. We Earlier on, we were doing some of the concepting. Now we're going to get on to some of the design principles and execution. Uh, Joe, I think at this point you've done a lot more of alien design and development than the rest of us. Do you want to sort of lead through some of the mechanical process of this? Yeah, let's, uh, let's walk through... Let's, let's pick our, our creature that we want to work on. Oh, that's a great point, uh, yes. Because that is step one of, <laughs> of creating a monster. Uh-huh. Or other NPC, as laid out on the back of Alien Archive, which we now call Alien Archive 1, <laughs> retroactively. 
Uh, and yeah, there's there's a few steps that we can go through to, to get step, stats that we can use. Uh, but the, going through that process always helps you concept the alien more. Like you never really stop. You just kind of refine and mm-hmm. figure out. We were talking a little bit during the break about you know what what some defensive and offensive things might be, CR considerations, all that challenge rating, you know, how difficult this creature will be to defeat, that kind of thing. But as far as uh, looking over our list, uh, I think sort of we'll, we'll figure out what concept we want to go forward with, and then that will we'll sort of focus from there. So one of the things that was really popular, especially toward the beginning of our brainstorming, was this idea of shedding skin. Um, seems to be defensively, might be partly for locomotion, Um, So, we're going to have this flash-melting creature. Awesome. Step one. Um, We were also pretty uh, intrigued by this idea of the floating islands, um, especially if this is, like, within some gas giant, so you're floating between different strata and maybe goes up and down with the weather patterns or or chasing after nutrients or what have you. Um, That's also pretty dang cool. So, that's what we're starting with here. Um, What we haven't really determined, though, Joe, is... um, like a creature type or, or CR yet. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we don't need any of that stuff before we get started. The concept is really the most important thing and can really help guide. Like, you'll see with the very first part, uh, if we're ready. Uh-huh. Does that Absolutely. sound good to everybody? Moving forward with that? Cool. All right, so we've got a concept. So step one is, is picking an array. Uh, a, a lot of the intimidating tables of numbers here uh, are based on the creature's array, which can be one of three things. Uh, a combatant, an expert, or a spellcaster. Uh, I feel like expert is the least straightforward, because <laughs> combatant is a creature that punches things and eats things and bites things uh, in that order. And a spellcaster, obviously, is more focused on magical spellcasting. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> which magical doesn't, effects. Yeah, magical effects. Doesn't sound like our creature very much to me. And then an expert is, is someone that more relies on skills, a creature that relies on maybe interesting abilities. Uh, and, and each of those sets of numbers is sort of geared toward that idea. So a spellcaster might be easier to hit with, a, with an attack, um, but their abilities will be harder to resist, for instance. And there's a lot of that. Um, Whereas an expert will have a bajillion skills and possibly higher uh, bonuses. So if you want something that will regularly out outmaneuver or outsmart the PCs, then an expert might be a good one. So sounds like you could be an expert. Yeah, this sounds like an expert to me, um, just from its nimbleness and not necessarily... It doesn't sound like an apex predator, certainly, um, right, no. though it might be in the middle of the food chain uh, or food, you know. Maybe in the middle of food web, who knows? Yes. I mean, I, I yeah, yeah, that's a good. Image of this thing, when I think of it as a really small thing versus a really big thing, and in between. That's a great point. Yeah, that's not a discrete step in here, so we should yeah. we should talk about it. That that would come up during like finishing details, but there's no reason not to think about it now. Um, what do what do people think? I mean, if if this is something in the middle of the food web, then I would usually expect there to be something bigger than it out there. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want to put it in like gargantuan or colossal or anything like that. Um, also, it feels like it should be bigger than tiny. Yeah. yeah. Usually, it's a, a good size to interact with PCs. Mm-hmm. And part of that might also be determined by what CR we land in. Yeah. But I think maybe just keeping in mind a, a small range of like maybe small to huge at the so, biggest. Yeah. 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 Okay. If it's, if it's a like really spindly creature, like if, say it's a 20 foot tall daddy long legs. Mm-hmm. You know, how much mass is that actually? Not a whole lot. 
Well, we can abstract that out, right? Like, you can, we could say it's small, they could just focusing on the body, but it has a reach of 15 feet or something. Yeah. So it has but I mean, it would be, a, yeah, it would be potentially a colossal creature. Well, like I'm saying, we, yeah, you yeah. can abstract any of that out that you want to. So we have creatures that have long, extendable limbs, but we don't measure them from, you know, from tip to tip at their greatest extension. My, my inclination is sort of to... It, to use large as a concept for now, and maybe as we get farther on, mm. maybe we adjust that a little bit. But there, there, there are some complications that come into play when you have really large creatures, really tiny creatures that maybe players at lower levels don't have all the tools or options to deal with properly. Uh, if something has so much reach on someone that they just get batted away every time they try to approach, there's nothing you can do about that. But you know, maybe at higher levels, you don't get pushed back as far, or you can resist effects like that, things like that. That make it easier to, to handle this kind of fight. So, again, the CR will, will help us determine, I think, a good size for that. But I think a large is a, a good starting point. Sure. It's a good placeholder. And concept-wise, you want to think about, is this something that lives in groups or, or alone? Um, if, if we thought this was a creature that hung out with in families, then having six large creatures in an encounter would be a bit... Well, when I think of the, when I think of the whole, like... Uh, skin molting thing yeah that sounds like a very individual yep, sort of survival exactly. thing as opposed to like herd immunity yeah um right. so I, I would think that like solitary or in groups of like pairs yeah two to three yeah. sort of thing um probably makes sense yep um cool so we'll go forward with that so the next step is the creature type graft which we tried to sneak into earlier but decided to save till right now so yeah uh, so again we we, we have a lot of our base numbers that we're not going to sit here for you with. <laughs> uh, and that's based on our what the CR we end up deciding to use, the challenge rating, uh, and then uh, the array that we've chosen, which is expert. Um, but we, the first graft we're going to add to that that makes it different from every other CRX of that array is the creature type graft, uh, which will have a couple adjustments, small adjustments, to start trending it toward that kind of creature. So the options we have are aberration, animal, construct, dragon, fey, humanoid, magical beast, monstrous humanoid, ooze, plants, undead, and vermin, and outsider. <laughs> Which is almost in alphabetical order. Yeah. And we can already start knocking a, a couple of those off the list. I mean, I feel like this is probably not a construct. It's not a dragon or fey. Not it's a dragon or fey. Not any type of humanoid, most likely. It sounds more bestial in nature. It seems to have more to it uh, anatomically than an ooze would qualify for. Mm -hmm. So I think we're probably narrowed down here to aberration, animal, or magical beast, maybe. Although, again, we've kind of... I don't hear anything in our concept that says it has, like, supernatural abilities necessarily, so... It could be a vermin, It could be a vermin, too, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Joe or Luis, like, what, what, what... tends to distinguish uh, a couple of these creature types from the others when we get down to this point. Like, why would I choose Aberration over Magical Beast? Um, Aberrations, I feel, are something that are outside of the typical expected realm of a a particular area's, like, evolutionary styles. Like, if, you know, you look at something like Galarian... In our creatures and you know, pathfinders, the aberration, lost Galarian, sorry, capital L, lost Galarian. Um, the, the the monsters there compared to some of the more fantasy stuff, uh, it just really alien. Then would maybe be more at home on an alien planet, but compared to what evolved on Galarian is completely just outside of the norm. So for all we know, something flying around on 
you know, from rock to rock is just common. That's what all the creatures do on this planet, and it wouldn't be very aberrant to be able to do that uh, compared to something that it might sound like more like a natural creature that's just native there to like an animal or a vermin. Yeah, I mean, the description of aberration as, as a type here says that an aberration has a bizarre anatomy, strange abilities, an alien mindset, or any combination of the three. Mm-hmm. If you wanted, you could apply that to any creature in Starfinder, ultimately. So I do think of it, I have more of like an uh test. Like, if, yeah. if you're going to see something, you're like, ugh. Uh, but and, also, and I, I feel like, like relative to the moving, environment and yeah, what, yeah, else, totally. what else you're seeing. Yeah, that's a good point. So if, if everything else has weird skin flap yeah. things, mm-hmm. and that's not weird all of a sudden, that's just the norm. Right. Vermin it includes insects, arachnids, and other arthropods, worms, and similar invertebrates. So it's really kind of vertebrate versus invertebrate a little bit. Animals are just living non-humanoid creatures, usually a vertebrate. So, so my inclination is because we have this very skin-oriented creature, I would not go with vermin, since yeah. it, vermin seems to cover mostly chitinous creatures, like worms, sure. Yeah. But. I think we're probably good with animal. Yeah, let's start with animal, and if we start giving it some weirder powers, we can always reevaluate. Yeah. What happens when we choose animal? Uh, so that an animal will give us low light vision, uh, would make our intelligence modifier really low, so minus four, minus five, and uh, give us a plus two to fortitude and reflex saving throws. So we take whatever number of the table will give us and bump it up a little bit. Things, things like the lower intelligence also suggest that it's more an instinctual creature, not one that like will, like beyond something like an ambush, it, it wouldn't plan or plot much more than that. So, it, yeah, that also helps come up with, uh, you know, it's how it interacts with its environment and things like that. And then later yeah. with the players, and to me, fits the concept of this thing that's reacting and uh, shedding husks and <laughs> taking off into the winds. Okay. So I have animal down for now. Okay. Uh, so far we have an expert array, large, probably, solitary it seems, mm-hmm. and an animal. Um, all right. So where else do we go from here, Joe? Next up is subtype graphs, which lets us further refine kind of what kind of creature it might be. So uh, that, that's a lot of different outsider types. Any humanoid will need its own subtype graph to kind of lay out what what is special about it or unique. Um, so gnome is a subtype graph. I don't think we'll be applying that in this case. <laughs> but there are other things like incorporeal or uh, things like air and cold and earth are, tend to be associated with planar traits. Uh, so, so even though this is living within a gas giant, it seems, yeah. then this would not have the air subtype? Uh, generally not, yeah. Okay. That, and just for reference, that, that would give us, again, these give us more traits and more things that we can add to the creature. Uh, so this would be a supernatural fly speed uh, in acrobatics, which doesn't really match up with our concept. I think. Yeah, it seems that the, the whole skin flap thing is more yeah. about it parachuting around. Yeah, and in terms of speeds, we are able to give it whatever speeds make sense for its environment mm-hmm. uh, without using up its special abilities uh, generally, unless it's like a super super speed. Um, I'm not seeing anything here like aquatic, uh, plant-like, shape-changer... These are the kinds of things that you might find swarm. None, none of these really seem to apply, so I think... I think we can just sort of skip yeah. over those yeah. in this case. Not every creature will have a subtype, and that's totally fine. Yeah. If you feel that one's not appropriate, so... It's just, it can be a helpful tool if you're like, oh yeah, this this makes perfect sense. Or You'll, you'll find often that you start to give it these like uh, uh, abilities and traits, mm-hmm. and then realize, oh, that's because it's this kind of... It's cold, so... 
the cold creatures. And, and something in terms of uh, design that I tend to see is like when I have a newer author, they will be like, I'm going to use every tool in the yeah, toolbox yeah. and usually want to resist that urge mm -hmm. and just use the things that are going to be helpful for, for this particular concept. There will be other opportunities and concepts. So skipping over subtypes today, not a problem. Yeah. And as a rule of thumb, just because a GM has so much of a workload at the table, trying to keep things as simple as possible, just maybe one or two abilities and to help out with that. So you don't have to worry about, oh, it's got eight different spells I gotta keep track of, and then four other abilities, and then eight resistances, and all this other stuff, you know. Speaking of this, we'll skip ahead one step to the template draft, which is often undead. Uh, if you wanna make any creature undead, a specific kind of undead will give you the the graft to staple onto that creature. Now, now it's an undead version of that, this specific kind of undead version of that. Um, but we have a lot of other template graphs, including the environmental graphs we were talking about earlier with the herd animal. You put an environmental template graft on there, and now you've got a lava squirrel. Uh, those, we, they're not just in Alien Archive 1, they're in all our Alien Archive volumes and elsewhere, I Some think. Some of the um, yeah, yeah, so... Mm -hmm. So another thing to help GMs out is not to add three different things that are from three different places that they have to go find it all. <laughs> um, now generally, that's that's generally if it gives an ability or something. Um, that if it needs, just changes some numbers, usually yeah, that's easy. If, enough if to, it just changes numbers, not a big deal. Yeah. And and it won't be it won't even say that in the final stat block, so you're probably okay. But in terms of needing to look up special abilities in particular, uh, that could be a tricky thing. Uh, and speaking of template graphs, since we're there right now, I don't. We don't. I don't think we need one. Um, we we would, You can consider writing one. Like if you're doing an undead creature, you might say like, okay, well, how do, how do I give advice to uh, other to GMs who are making? Uh, you could even use this as an inspiration for a brand new template graph. You can just be like a, yeah. a skin catcher graph that any creature from this environment has that ability, and you can just take mm -hmm. an existing alien, yeah. throw that on, yeah, and then and then they for, for then they get get that parachute ability or well. flash molter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's that's a little yeah. I mean that's it takes a bit more design work than yeah, creating yeah, an alien, definitely. but it, it's definitely definitely considerations, especially if you're going to do some freelance for aliens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the step we skipped over was class graphs because. Uh, well, because we want to talk about template draft, but also we can just skip over it because this is probably not a, a sapient creature that's going to be learning to be a mystic. And <laughs> On top of that, though, uh, the class graphs are really handy for taking existing things and further diversifying them. Mm -hmm. So think of that. Think of the class graphs more as a tool for, um, for for modifying something that already exists. And since we're creating more of a base creature, then employing one of those from the very beginning. Uh, might even seem to reduce the versatility of the, of the creature. Uh, so, yeah. There's a, there's a really for taking something like, oh, I have a drow and I want a drow mechanic now for this particular part of the story. That's perfect for what those are. Yep. All right, so we've only got a few steps left, but this is one of the big ones, the special abilities. Uh, so uh, our, our expert, so now we need to figure out what CR. We really need sure. to nail down what, what challenge rating we want this creature to be. And uh, because that that tells us a lot of stuff, but it also tells us how many special abilities we get. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of considerations for the CR. Uh, earlier, we were mentioning that sometimes we just need a specific CR four creature, and you yeah. know, this might be one of those times where we need a CR four creature. Okay, we'll we'll just make a CR four perfect. Or we um, look at our animals yeah. that we've published and say like, wow, we've never published like a CR four animal. Like we should probably do that. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Yeah, uh, but uh, other considerations are maybe because of the environment that that they're, we're, we're looking to put them in, 
what does that mean for players? What kind of level should they be to be able to get around this environment and not be at a clear disadvantage all the time? I mean, something like flight would probably be pretty helpful, and mm-hmm. regular access to flight doesn't kick in until a, you know, a few levels down the line. Mm-hmm. So we probably don't want this to be a CR1 creature because it'll just get away from it and it be pointless of the fight because they either can't reach it or it's just going to destroy them. Yeah. And, and the uh, number of these that number appearing yep. is also going to influence that. So let's say, for example, that we want this to take place around the point when flight is more accessible. Let's say, like, level 7 PCs, give or take. Um, CR1 is going to be way too low to ever even pierce the armor of those uh, of those PCs. But something that would be level, or CR4 or 5, we would then give a group of these to attack with. But since we've, we're kind of leaning in the direction of these being solitary or nearly solitary, we would want something that it has enough uh, bite to it that it is a threat on its own to PCs of roughly that like seven to nine range, perhaps. Kind um, of yeah. like a CR eight is a decent challenge for level seven players, but might still be an annoyance that you can actually throw into part of a different encounter when they're level nine. Mm-hmm. And, and if these travel in very small groups, then you could also put two of them and make a greater challenge for a slightly higher level party. So, so you can also think about, in Starfinder, armor comes with environmental protections that last a number of days equal to the level of the item, so you can think about how long could the PCs be in this environment safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're talking about flying islands in a gas giant, you know, that doesn't sound the most hospitable. Uh, but Be- Better than falling straight into the gas giant's core. Also true... <laughs> So yeah, so let's, let's go with CR8 then. Something How like that. that sound? Ish. Yeah. And that gives us two special abilities. Um, there's some things we get for free. Uh, like I was saying earlier, speed. Why am I not finding? Speed is uh, whatever we need, really. Mm-hmm. To a reasonable degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, I don't know that there are any special speeds. that I, Maybe climbing would make sense. Um, yeah, climbing. If this is something that's... fly speed or maneuverability... But it, but it gets it as part of, the, one, of the, one of its abilities. Yeah, and that might be something we tie to the special ability itself. Um, yeah. Because um, giving it constant fly speed, there's no need to use the parachute ability yeah, anymore. Yeah. Um, but we might decide to say something like, oh, fly speed, 30, poor, but also like see below, and then that's when we, we go into that. Yeah, I, I, I personally would lean in this case toward giving it a, a you know, poor, clumsy, what have you, fly speed, just because it's going to be a little bit easier for a gym to adjudicate it. Because mm-hmm. if, if we create an ability that's going to be parachuting, it's entirely based on like wind direction or something, yeah, yeah. that's another ability that the gym has to track. Sure. Whereas if this were something where, like you were getting at, Luis, like, fly speed, 30, clumsy, or poor, see below. Mm-hmm. And it says, like, if there's wind of this strength, <laughs> it can, instead, gains a fly speed of 60. Sure. Then, yeah, I don't have to get the exact angles and, and whatnot, but I can, at the very least, the weather does a little something interesting. For me, I think I'd rather adjudicate it as uh, just saying, you know, like, sailboats don't need to move only in the direction that the wind is going, right? Mm-hmm. So you can say that they have, like, a complicated... they really move those skin flaps around to uh, you know, give themselves angular momentum to move in, a, in an unexpected sure. direction or something. And so I think I would personally tend toward what Luis is saying. Um, and that's why we have so many different developers. And why we do talk this stuff out quite a bit, too. And, and rather than listing a fly speed along with other speeds, it might even just be easier once we get to that special ability to say, you know, uh, a swift action, it throws its skin out and then it can move for one round as if it had a fly speed yeah, such exactly. and such and it mm-hmm. it 
you know, then we have that, oh, it, it angles itself just right and can yep. move around, but mm-hmm. they can only do that for one round. Sure. And then it has to reel its skin back in <laughs> and pack it back in to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it loses it because it's just gone. Oh, yeah, yeah or it gets ripped off after. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah nice. I'm imagining some unfortunate sound effects there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to Sirenscape about that. Oh, um, oh, oh. So, uh, we're still on special abilities. We we don't have any special senses either yet. Um, but we can throw one on. I mean, it came with low light vision. Yeah. You can decide maybe dark vision That's is true. okay. I would think a like yeah with the stratified with stratified atmosphere definitely a low light vision. But even like a blind sense of some kind. I, I just don't know which one would be the appropriate. One. I was thinking yeah. scent because we're talking about making it smell. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's like. When it uses its scent or the gases, mm-hmm. helps it fly, mm-hmm. um, and it has that blind scent smell because it seems like we're doing a solitary creature. Yeah. It's very territorial. Find other. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and you've, even the idea of like if 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 upwellings, I'm thinking of like how um, vultures and the like have to uh, use updrafts to sort of get heft, uh, heft. If the idea is that the gas strata have certain gases at different levels that are more common and it can smell like, oh, I smell this gas, that usually means up. I want to go in that direction to reach the higher stratum. That's, that's or, neat. Or it even smells creatures from a different strata that have gotten to it and it's like, oh, oh. it smells like one of those creatures from up above. Those are tasty. Nom, 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 nom. Another thought is since we're, we're talking about a multi-strata gas giant, mm-hmm. like Jupiter is full of storms. Uh-huh. Because you've got the different densities, you've got you know electrical discharge happening. So if we have this thing be you know strong against lightning or electrical damage, because it just happens in its environment, like if you shoot it with some sort of electrical stun bolt, it's going to be like eh, another lightning strike, whatever. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, but wouldn't give it immunity, give it a resistance because that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, we could talk about that too. Yeah, that, that, that might lean more into a special ability, but yeah. in terms of sense, and this is another one that, so something like dark vision probably doesn't cost a special ability's worth, typically. It, it doesn't. Um, yeah. and we, there's a sidebar here that, to, that tells you specifically for senses that blind sense, center vibration, yeah. dark vision, and low light vision are all free. You yeah, can free. staple so that onto whoever you want. For something them, we without. can toss on there, yeah. but if we're in a gas giant, it could be that vision is severely limited because of the gases around, and it may have a, 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 a way to see through those more easily uh, compared to like PCs, they might only have, they can only see right in front of their eyes, but it can see them for 30, 40, 60 feet away, and that might be more akin to a special ability that would, would eat up one of our, yeah. even though it's just a vision-based thing, it, it is important and, and impactful enough. Well, that would be blind sight, which is a precise sense that means you can really pinpoint, it's just, it works the same as vision in terms of targeting things and not having cover and all that kind of thing. So kind of like heat sensors, kind of like a yeah, it could that do. Could it, be could be, it could be like heat related. Yeah. It could be vibration related. It might just count as if for for the way it looks, it just com- doesn't see the, the the gases at all, and it's almost like they weren't there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, but we've also talked about how we the concept that this was a mid-tropic level animal. I mean, well, I mean, snakes are for. I mean, are also about mid-tropic level, but we're but as a more prey animal, it would also likely have 
high scent or like or high scent or sure. it might have a stronger scent than it has it's like yeah. gas vision yeah. uh, and you know a predator might be like a hawk where you can see it from a lot further away but it can smell it sooner so there's that you know who, who, who gets the move on <laughs> and, and th- this is a moment where uh, when it comes to coming up with some of these abilities you can always look back at existing sources mm-hmm. so whether that's Starfinder or in the case of this like long range scent I start thinking about sharks and Sahuagin in Pathfinder yeah. both have a blood sense thing that lets them sense that there is blood within a mile period done um, and so this might have this creature might have the sentability, but then sort of a little bit of a rider saying, but also it can smell certain things from really far away. Yeah. Um, going back a little bit to you were talking about this thing that is true, which is the impulse to throw everything into your creature and say like you can do all this stuff and all this cool stuff. Um, kind of related to that a little bit is uh, using universal creature rules as special abilities. Um, sure. Why, why write new stuff when it's yeah. already been written? <laughs> yeah, it's more about not reinventing the wheel. Uh, and see, So universal creature rules are just a list of, of various abilities, generally yeah, defensive, offensive, or other abilities that we are going to use over and over again, and so we don't reprint them in every stat block because we only have so much space on a page and we want to get to the interesting stuff, like the custom special abilities we will make in a second here. With something like grab, we don't need to tell you what it is every single time yeah or no breath you know if something doesn't need to breathe um, if something's amphibious that kind of stuff uh, it's one word uh, people know to look it up in the creature rules and then we're good um, and you can use those as special abilities so yeah. you can uh, kind of cruise through those when you're making a creature I'm, I'm doing that now if you guys want to talk I don't want to read well I think um, so we have whether or not we stick with something like the, the gas vision or not, uh, I think we have enough of the, the senses at this point that we can oh, yeah. probably start deciding what the special abilities look like. And the one special ability I think we're kind of in agreement here is its skin parachute thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which it's flash molting. Flash right? molting. But flash molt is a great name for an ability. Because yeah. like, it really does grab your attention yeah. and make you say, what? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking about how flash mold would ultimately operate, and like when I think of it in in uh, like lizards losing their tails to escape predators, yep. it's very much a oh no I got grabbed ability, and then can break out of that. But when I think about Starfinder, especially as a for a, an alien that the PCs are going to face off against, most of my experience with PCs and Starfinder is that their first inclination is not to grab and wrestle a strange alien. Shoot it. So so it makes it makes me think that just doing I can escape a grab might be so niche of an ability as an, uh, for, for an alien that it won't come into play often enough. So I, I'm personally inclined to make this flash multi-ability a little bit broader in its application. Yeah. Um, so I'm open to where to go with that, though. What if it was more of a decoy thing, gave more of a splicer beast style, which one am I attacking? Oh, okay. More. Sort of like an ink cloud, but it happens to be made of skin? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I know a lot of, I've seen a lot of abilities in, like, we're going to play, and some, some of them from more humanoid creatures use, like, use RP. Is there, I, I don't really think I've noticed any for, for actual aliens that are, that are non-player races. Um, would that be something, like, because then it is, it is a consumable, um, or a 
it. So RP is just another thing for a GM to keep track of, which yeah. just complicates things a bit more. Um, and I think rather than have to worry, I mean, resource management like that is something we definitely build into our monsters, but we tend to do that in ways like, oh, once per round, once per day, uh, you know, once every 1d4 rounds with things like breath weapons that recharge. So we can replicate those kind of effects where we only want it to be able to use it two or three times a day by just say, you know, once per round up to three times per day or something like that without having to add in RP. It's just all right there in the ability for you. And that kind of goes along with the uh, notion of creature design in general, which is that uh, a typical creature or encounter is probably going to last somewhere between like two to five rounds. Um, so uh, in Pathfinder in particular, where uh, there's there's been a lot of like, let's throw a whole bunch of abilities on some of these high seer creatures, um, there's sort of the question of how much are the players really going to see of this array of abilities um, before the end. And so when Luis is mentioning like, oh, it can do this uh, once per round, three times per day, in a way, that's, that's almost like saying combat. for the whole combat, unless for this environment where you have like people floating and flying and yeah, getting lost in the clouds, in then this might have greater longevity as a foe. Um, unless the whole notion of it is just at some point you are in the gas and at some point it goes flap onto the side of your mm-hmm. face and we're here now. Um, so, but but uh, RP is I feel a lot better suited for NPCs uh, as opposed to monsters, and you know, we, like you said, do that more with organized play, and, it, and also because it feels uh, easier for a player to recognize. Oh, they're an envoy, and they just spent an RP and did a, a particular thing. I can do that too. I know what you're doing, and that, that's kind of a fun little moment for a player to recognize what's going on and understand that like the world works how I see it from my perspective as a player on. You know, as a, where the GM is doing things too. So, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, one idea we could do with the husk. Um, I mean, we could still keep the ability where you know, if you're grappled, it reactively. Uh, but uh, it could it'd be expanded upon to all attacks. You know, maybe it just the first time it gets shot, it immediately breaks out of its skin, and the skin takes the damage for it, and that attack is wasted, and it then just you know moves over one square, and that's what it does. Kind of a mirror image, maybe? Yeah, it, it, a little like, bit, yeah. Like a mirror image kind of style, but that just, it's got that more interesting flavor of, it literally leaps out of its skin to, to avoid the attack. And designing new mechanics like this can be difficult, and looking at existing things like that, and mm-hmm. seeing, like, what are the limitations, like, how often can people use mirror image, like, what... Uh, what makes sense for this creature, yeah. uh, and you always want to have it. Uh, you know, just consider the action economy. So it would probably be a reaction, so that yep. it can't make an attack of opportunity and then also uh, jump away. Use its reaction to jump, jump away. Like yeah. you want to keep that in mind when you're designing abilities. Duration, if that, if that's applicable. Mm-hmm. In this case, it might be like again, how long before it can use it again, mm-hmm. which probably a while yeah. <laughs> which which means that it can be stronger probably because sure. um, it's only going to happen but one time I mean I'm going back to some of the ideas that we had in that first hour of like the skin molt is smelly yeah. or the skin molt mm-hmm. is hazardous in some way yeah. and so I'm getting this idea of like when it uses this uh, ability to escape an attack it also like I don't know it moves five feet or something let's say and it leaves behind this area mm-hmm. of skin um, you want to move into that area of skin, then X is suddenly true. Of course I do. So it's like, yeah. all right, well, I shoot the thing. It molts, it moves away from you guys a little bit. Well, that's okay. Ovozai is going to charge through that mm-hmm. flimsy skin stuff and is now, like, entrapped in a skin net mm-hmm. or something like that. 
Save, 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 save or save it. What was that? Yeah. I was just saying, you guys talked about smoke bombs earlier. You guys mm -hmm. completely, like, when it loses its skin, now it's like this gas is just expanding from the. Yeah, it's concealed area. for a bit. Or yeah, it yeah. Oh, oh, the idea that yeah. like it's almost like, an explosive obvious. gas that expels the skin in the first place. Yeah, yeah. that's for spores. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It provides cover. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Thinking more about the environment as a whole mm -hmm. and adding some flavor in that, it could excrete some sort of adhesive that it uses to maybe latch itself onto mm -hmm. the environment when it needs to rest, mm -hmm. which could also attached to the skin so you get stuck in the skin sure. or like, some sort of environmental hazard yeah. or, or like when, when it actually uses it if it's using it to escape a grapple you're actually stuck to the skin to begin with mm -hmm. and so cool, then, I'm stuck. now, now you have to break the grapple with yeah, the skin yeah. Yeah. yep well does this have an ungliding form is does it have a transformative aspect where like it can land on one of these sky islands mm -hmm. and, and have a non-flash-molted paragliding form and then have a transformative... I think that's more interesting, yeah. I yeah. think if, if it's a surprising transformation when it happens. Well, it does it, yeah, when it, when it uses its flash molds, does it, does it lose any, any ability to like, glide around? Very well, could. Can it still actually use its skin to glide mm -hmm. if it doesn't have right. it anymore? Right. Yeah, go ahead. I was just thinking if it ever did use it, it could like hide within it instead of moving out. That way they have to get inside to reach the creature. Oh, sure. It, it becomes an extra shell that you have to break through to, to get to it. Cover or something. Yeah. Like, or, or even the, the shell, like when, it, when the interior of the shell is exposed to the atmosphere, it might harden. Mm -hmm. Uh, we also want to consider it's. So this is definitely a defensive ability for the most part. Um, yeah, we want to consider how can it attack. What what can it do to be an actual threat to the PCs rather than something they're chasing down like in a wacky for, for ten rounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that's entirely possible. Right? Yeah, I mean the idea that it hunts by expelling its own skin that it then consumes back into its body with its prey is is a possibility. But it tries to grapple, if something bigger than it tries to grapple, it uses the skin to get away, but it's trying to grapple you and eat you. Yeah, but, but we definitely want to consider what, what the proactive way of using this thing um, is, so it's not just, it waits for somebody to shoot it before it's like, that was my one trick, I'm out! Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Starfinder is a very ranged game, if you want to compare it to Pathfinder, but just on its own, like, everybody's got a gun generally, and uh, we'll try to shoot at things from far away with their lasers. Uh, so, keeping in mind that if something only has melee attacks or a, a you know a short range in which it can interact with its enemies, then kind of giving at a it disadvantage. More, it's at a, a, already starts at a disadvantage, oh. and maybe giving it more mobility is a way to. So yeah, it, and, it, and one of the things that I would go with that is that the environment in which it lives is going to influence a bit of that. Mm -hmm. So, if this is a super opaque area that it lives in. Then suddenly being really melee focused is it's, okay. is is doable. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if we were to find this in the middle of like an Earth like atmosphere, then it's like, well, that thing from a mile away sure is slowly floating toward us. And here, here's another distinction production on the production side between something that we want to put in one of these books that we want people to be able to use all over the place, like any planet you land on. Basically, you could find one of these or on a space station or something. Uh, 
that's a lot less useful, right? It, it's you, a lot you, less you, need, you need things to be more, yeah, broad. But if you're making it specifically for your, your table or for an adventure, then you can have a lot more leeway to factor that stuff in. Mm -hmm. well, so if it's a putting it in the middle of the food web, it's going to be a some sort of predator, and we've established it doesn't have the best aerial mobility. It might have some sort of ranged tether, like a frog tongue or a extendable tail or something. Stendo arm. Stendo arm. Yeah. What if the uh, teacher's able to throw some gas? Oh, we had a few things at once. Let's uh, hold on. Joe, do you want to see that? Do you guys want to raise hands and then we'll. Just because we're. No, no, it's cool. We just want to make sure everybody gets to say what they want to say. Go ahead. So, yeah, what if the skin was some sort of explosive gas? So, if you then attack that thing, it looked like something important. You know, it does area damage or something, right? If it's got a close range, then that would be. It could be an aspect of that. And then you were saying. Your hands on it, but okay. Uh, oh, sorry, me? Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, it can actually have, like, uh, back to what you were saying, is there is little, like, gnarly pimples on its skin mm -hmm. where, like, if you break one, like, it shoots out a projectile of like, slime or something? Because <laughs> uh, it's very skin related. Mm -hmm. And it also can be, like, porcupine. Like, somebody mentioned teeth on its uh, uh, appendages, mm -hmm. teeth on the arm, I remember the exact comment. Mm -hmm. So, maybe it will shoot out those teeth in the air. That's cool. <laughs> or, or like it could actually even like talking about the like the pressurized right, pressure under its skin. It's got an exoskeleton. You could it could use that pressure as maybe as an ability to increase its speed. At which point, then then its ability to have range attacks doesn't really necessarily matter as right, much. Right. Increasing its mobility to make up for its lack of range. Sure. And yeah, I mean things. We I don't know that we really talk about it in here that much, but you can have things that have a reach longer than what is the Corvo book says is associated with that size. You don't want to go too far out of that. But. And you had a hand up. Okay. Uh, in a similar vein, I mean, it might be that it's normal melee attacks are the typical reach of you know, 10 feet for a large creature, but you know, once per round or mm -hmm. one, once every couple of rounds, it, it uses the you know, pressurized gases built up under skin to just launch the a shard of that, or um, just uh, it, it distend the skin just a mm. bit, where it like can reach and pull mm -hmm. something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, along the lines of the mobility notion, especially because we've been talking about like, oh yeah, it sure does expel its skin by gas or what have you. Mm -hmm. Maybe this thing has sort of a, a squid-like jet ability, mm -hmm. where it can instead direct that to not necessarily always move very quickly, yeah. but for that opening charge in, mm -hmm. it could cover yeah. 200 feet or something. Yeah, sure. Um, you guys talk like gas under the skin. Like, if you could, like, suck it in almost, like, mm. like a suction sort of thing, so it also brings the players That's cool. That's a great idea. Yeah. I like that a lot. Would that, like, not necessarily for this creature, but is it, is it ever a good idea for creature design? To oh hey I have this ability you know it sucks in it sucks in air does it get bigger like it, it changes like its actual size on the yeah, it changes on the creature size like it's the blowfish small to a medium creature well luckily Starfinder is less concerned about a creature size than Pathfinder is you know if Pathfinder if something went from large to huge your strength goes up your dex goes down there's all these considerations um, you can say it just takes up a bit larger space, and here's one or two changes, like, oh, its attack bonus goes down by one, but its damage goes up by two or something, but 
usually that kind of stuff can is is a more more fiddly to, to deal with at the table. Um, I would say like instead, what you can do rather than changing its size is hey uh, to to kind of replicate its changing its size, but not uh, effectively do so, and then have to move minis around and stuff. And you can say hey, it sucks in air, and all of a sudden its skin gets bloated and its reach goes out an extra five feet because yeah. it, it can do that. Because other things you have to deal with is like you know. The squares that it now occupies have to be empty, or if not, something else happens, and then there's 3D space, which is likely with the creature in this environment that's going to be moving up and down, so fiddly is the right word, I think, and yeah, Come, but coming up with ways to represent that that are just sort of simplified. And, and makes sense. there's nothing to say that we can't immediately, or we can't flavor that and have yeah. a, tell our players that it, it grows so big, sure. and you, you think it, you know, it feels like it's taking up more space when... The, it's technically still the exact same size on the, on the map. Mm -hmm. We're getting close to the end here. It's we want to I mean, yeah. decide on a couple of these that we're maybe going to go with, or is it just more fun to keep this brainstorm going and, <laughs> and then narrow it down ourselves later? <laughs> just to uh, go through the list of what I have. So Expert Array, probably large, probably solitary, give or take. It's an animal. It's roughly CR8. Uh, seems that this has a flight ability. Um, we went down a couple of different senses. Scent seems to be the big or the prevalent one. Possibly it has a long-range scent, unclear, and maybe it has some means of seeing through opaque clouds. Um, uh, we have a whole bunch of skin multi abilities. Uh, there's a possibility that it works by giving it some form of concealment or a duplicate image, like mirror image. Uh, it helps to, to escape attacks. Um, seems to be able to throw it off as a reaction, which is an important uh, thing from mechanics. Uh, whether or not the skin does something when it is thrown off to attackers, whether that's creating a zone that is now hazardous, or whether it just hurls it directly in the face of whoever it is, uh, <laughs> remains to be seen, but the notion of it being sticky, poisonous, and or stinky seems to be out there. Um, there is the possibility that uh, the what, its underskin is somehow reactive to its environment and might harden uh, once it's exposed. And there are a bunch of different ideas about how to make this thing so that it is more of a threat when it starts farther away, whether that is some sort of ranged tether, the ability to shoot pimple bullets, um, or possibly throw quills, or if it just has some sort of extreme speed burst that it can do to cover ground quickly and be a melee threat right off the bat. And then last thing that I have is or it might just be able to suck in people toward it, at which point it's more sticky uh, from a mechanical stance. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty good. I mean, I, that sounds like two special abilities worth of things uh, <laughs> in there. Um, the, the, the final steps are things we, we don't need to do here necessarily, but they're assigning skills. You know, this will have acrobatics for sure, probably athletics. Um, usually, animals usually animals are pretty straightforward yeah. on that, that they yeah. won't have engineering, for yeah. example. They're not too up on culture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then spells, again, we're not using a spellcaster. Uh, you can also give spell-like abilities to non-spellcaster creatures, but generally it doesn't sound like we need a spell. <laughs> and then just a final check where you kind of make sure that the concept matches the... And that's where we look at things like... Uh, just said it. Uh, for instance, the see through, the sense through ability. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where I would go to Wikipedia and be like, okay, what gases are transparent and which aren't, and, and does it need this thing or not, or does it make sense for it to have sense through or not? Um, sure. 
can see just fine, but you're only ever going to see 60 feet. Mm -hmm. Just because the light can't get through it. Yeah. And um, I think beyond the mechanics here, like what kind of stuff do we want to say in its like, like if it has an alien archive entry, what kind of stuff do we want to say in its flavor entry? You know, uh, what kind of other creatures does it interact with? Maybe how did it grow to have these abilities? Uh, do they show up anywhere else beyond gas giants? Maybe they, they do exist elsewhere, and the, that you know, gas sense doesn't help at all, but it just gets more of a benefit when it's at home. So real quickly, that's a thing to always consider in, in aliens. Entries for us is can they be used elsewhere? Because we have done a lot of aliens that are like, they're from this world on like this continent, and this jungle on this continent. <laughs> and then GMs are like, that's cool, but I'm not going to go to that planet. I'm going to like a million other planets. Uh, I feel like I can't use it. So we try to say, like, creatures like this are found everywhere. Like, we have dust, dust mantas, and it's like basically any desert world or any desert on any world could really plausibly have these. And they might be called something else, and they might vary a little bit, and that's where you can throw on a template graft or something, or an environmental graft, and, and change it up a little for your own game. But And or, very close to what you're saying, Joe, saying these things are from this world and are most common here, but they have this flavorful means of escaping. Yeah, which is a great story hook. You know, how did this thing escape in the first place? Sure. Why is it here? Like, there's a reference to Remoras earlier. Yeah. Do these occasionally drift into the upper atmosphere, snag onto Omas, and happen to end up, incidentally, in other areas. And, and you want you want to, that to be an optional thing that you're adding for cool flavor and not something that you have to come up with to explain why they'd be anywhere else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind Maybe of the, it's non-flying forms like super cute and people take it yeah. all into heads yeah. so they <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> paid off the uh, juveniles and then they start growing out of, out of house people, people keep them as pets and then they realize they grow too big and they flush them down the toilet <laughs> yeah we, we put one of those into Starfinder Society so. <laughs> uh, and I think the other cool thing to do but this is more for publication you know, definitely don't need the sphere in your home game because you, you decide what you want it for but giving it one or two interesting story hooks beyond just like what its abilities are it might be like it, it is normally a solitary creature but once every certain cycle all of them gather together and make this giant you know they, they, they're the New Mexico hot air balloon equivalent yeah. of just all gathering <laughs> and stuff so stuff like that that might suggest a reason for players to want to seek them out or, or or just have something interesting beyond the, oh, it ambushed you, and let's do this fight. Okay, yeah. let's keep moving. Mm -hmm. Adventure hooks are really key for me, because I keep yeah. on working on adventures. And when, yeah. I'm, when, when Thurston Hillman and I are flipping through Alien Archives, being like, what can we put into a Starfinder Society scenario? Having those sorts of hooks are what inspire possibilities mm -hmm. and, and allow us to highlight the creatures we've already published. Yeah. Or, or even just hints of... But there are rumors that there's a bigger version that does this and this and this. Absolutely. And, and that, that's even just more fodder for us to work with down the line. And like, oh, we're just going to snap the big one up next time. And this is definitely, if we're talking about this for like an Alien Archive style entry, I definitely want to name one of its prey species yeah. and one of its predators. Mm -hmm. um, because that, that seeds in possibilities for uh, further development. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about, like, you guys were saying, like, how it's... A graft, you can like mostly like the the seeing through the uh, the gas the gases. Mm -hmm. You just make that a graft. Yes, yeah, like, right. yeah. Yeah. Or or even just make that a, a universal monster ability or something. When we have so many player options in Starfinder. There's you know armor upgrades. There's also augmentations. So 
I mean, there's you can augment your skin, yep. <laughs> and we have the skin monster. So or, potentially, or, or you might be able to buy a, a version of the see through the gas. It's gas vision that you can then you know. Now I have that, and when we're hanging around the gas giants, it's yep. easier to look yep. around. And so. <laughs> Also, what I was thinking is it would be a, like, that's why, you know, it's not a creature attacking you, but you see it, and then someone does a culture check and realizes, oh, its glands are highly valuable, it's like, and then you get them down to, like, players having a moral dilemma, like, like, (laughs) no, I'll leave that creature alone, but it's like, we can make a lot of money yeah. help our campaign. Yeah, and, and I really like that sort of uh, thing where it's like, some part of it is valuable, or, or it hangs around a valuable thing because not only is it a reason for the players to go after it, but you can create stories about NPCs doing the thing that now the players are intervening on, or something like that. React, interacting with it. Exactly. Yeah. Give, give it a reason why people might seek it out, rather yeah. than just keep on being like, ah, it's more of them... <laughs> Like, Gas oh, yeah, mantis. I see that thing floating along towards us, but it's like whatever. Or then the chaotic greedy's like, well, we should go get that. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the shunt of hippies that are telling you, no, yeah. we're, we're we're just skin huggers, you know. Yeah. We're, and, we're, yeah. and that that's another story hook where <laughs> rather the creature being a thing that we have to deal with the fight, it's just everyone else is concerned. So, you know, we have two different groups that want to protect it or want to harvest them more, and that's just another story hook that we built in without even having to fight the creature whatsoever. Yeah. So it's easy to attack it and then attacks you for attacking it yeah. because they're in danger or something. And we do have lots of aliens already, right, in the Coral Book and, and beyond. So if, if it makes sense, I, I don't, nothing springs to mind immediately, but if there was some existing creature that you knew a lot about and liked a lot and wanted to say, like, they love these things or they hate them or they, you know, would be terrified of them if they were to ever meet, like that kind of thing can add a lot. Where uh, we're just uh, we're about a little uh, about eight minutes before the hour, so I guess are there any questions that folks have that we haven't addressed in the process, um, or anything touching on it? Just any questions at all? Yeah. Well then, thank you everyone for yeah, your wonderful for ideas. Yeah. <laughs> good job. That's cool. I want to see aliens you make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's a good question. How do you get an alien making? 